0: Every Monday to Friday, this is Peter Lewis's Money Talk.
1: Money Talk.
0: Good morning, this is Peter Lewis welcoming you to my podcast Money Talk for Thursday the 27th of July. It's Fed Day and we have news and analysis on the Fed's decision to raise interest rates. That's coming up. This podcast is sponsored by Surfing Group, which is headquartered in Singapore and offers online financial services to 30 million customers across 10 countries. And thank you for making this podcast one of the most listened to financial podcasts in Hong Kong and Singapore. In today's business and finance headlines, the Federal Reserve has raised the target rate for the federal funds rate by 25 basis points to five and a quarter to 5.5% in line with market expectations and with unanimous support from the Federal Open Market Committee. That brings borrowing costs to the highest level since January 2001. It marks the 11th increase since March 2022 when the Fed started raising borrowing costs from near zero to try to cool the economy and ease price inflation. The US central bank resumed the tightening campaign following a pause in June. After observing that the economy has been expanding at a moderate pace, job gains have been robust in recent months and the unemployment rate has remained low while inflation remains elevated. In a press conference after the meeting, Fed Chairman Jerome Powell was perceived by financial markets as leaning more towards the dovish side, raising hopes among traders that the current tightening cycle has ended. He emphasised how much the central bank has already done and the amount of time it can take for monetary policy to call inflation. We can afford to be a little patient as well as resolute as we let this unfold, he said. He added that it's possible that the Fed could raise rates at the September meeting if the data warrants it, but also possible that the central bank could hold steady. Mr Powell insisted that the central bank would take a data-dependent approach going forward when determining additional hikes, and clarified that no decision to raise borrowing costs further has been made. Japan's population has recorded the largest annual decline on record, despite efforts to boost birth rates, data showed on Wednesday. The Ministry of Internal Affairs and Communications said the number of Japanese nationals fell by 801,000 in 2022 from a year earlier to 122.4 million. That's the largest drop since records began in 1968. The population of Japanese residents has decreased for 14 consecutive years after peaking in 2009. But the population of foreign residents increased by 289,000 to 3 million. That's the first rise since the onset of the coronavirus pandemic in 2020. On today's Money Talk, I'm joined by Andrew Ferris, the CEO of Econosis Advisory, and from the USA, Tony Nash, founder of Complete Intelligence. And with a view from Taiwan is Ross Feingold, Business Development Director at SafePro Group. (laughs) U.S. stocks swung into positive territory during Federal Reserve Chairman Jerome Powell's press conference as he said there was disinflation, even as he also said that central bank officials had not yet made a decision as to whether to raise interest rates again in September. But the main indices ended the session mixed. The S&P 500 saw a peak of 4,610 before pairing gains after Jerome Powell said he doesn't see inflation returning to the 2% target by 2025. The index ended the day virtually unchanged at 4,567, but at its highest level since April 2022. The Nasdaq Composite lost 0.1% to 14,127. The Dow added 82 points, that's 0.2% to 35,520, extending its rally to 13 days, that's the longest winning streak since January 1987. And if the index rises for 14 straight days later today, it will match the longest streak in history, going back to June 1897. That was roughly one year after the Dow was created in May 1896. After the closing bell, Facebook owner Meta reported better than expected results and issued optimistic guidance for the third quarter. The company returned to double-digit revenue growth in the second quarter for the first time since the end of 2021, reporting that revenue in the three months ended June the 30th rose 11% to $32 billion as advertising rebounded shares rose as much as 8% in after-hours trading and prior to Wednesday's close the stock was up 159% this year compared to the 19% advance in the S&P 500. Chinese equities were lower Wednesday as the previous day's euphoria over the Politburo's statement of support for the beleaguered property sector and the promise of measures to boost consumption and the overall economy faded. Hong Kong's Hang Seng index retreated after Tuesday's 4.1% rebound and closed 69 points lower, that's 0.4%, at 19,365. The tech index fell 0.9% after a 6% rally the previous day, and on the mainland, the Shanghai. High Composite Index slipped a third of a percent to 3,223. The Hang Seng Mainland Properties Index, which surged 14% on Tuesday, retreated 1.8% Wednesday. And futures markets are pointing to a gain of 140 points for the Hang Seng at the Open this morning. That's around 0.7%. And you can get more details on the latest market movements in my daily newsletter, which you'll find at peterlewismoneytalk.substack.com. Monday to Friday. This is Peter Lewis's Money Talk. Peter Lewis's Money Talk. Let's join our guests we have with us in Prague this morning, Andrew Ferris, the CEO of Econosis Advisory. Thank you for staying up for us once again on your world tour.
2: It's perfectly all right, Peter. It's a pleasure.
0: (laughs) Okay. And over in Texas, in the USA, we find Tony Nash, who is the founder of Complete Intelligence. Welcome, Tony. Thank you, Peter. Thank you very much for having me. You're welcome. The Federal Reserve has raised the target rate there, as you heard, for the federal funds rate uh, by, so raised the target range for the federal funds rates by 25 basis points to five and a quarter to five and a half percent. That's in line with market expectations, and it was a unanimous decision from the FOMC. It brings borrowing costs to the highest level since January 2001. The Fed made minimal changes to its post-meeting statements and failed to provide a clear indication of the FOMC's future moves. The committee said it remained highly attentive to inflation risks and will continue to assess additional information and its implications for monetary policy. But it underscored the priority of bringing inflation back to the 2% level. Andrew, let me ask you, how wedded is the Fed to its 2% level? Because it seems to me that if it is, uh, there's going to be more pain to come. The Fed's going to have to carry on raising rates and potentially tip the economy into a recession to get there.
2: Yeah, this is, this is Peter, this is not uh, an interpretation, this is effectively based in facts, because Powell was quoted in saying that he just doesn't see that the 2% inflation, uh, I'm not quite sure what he actually said, or sorry, correction, the interpretation of what he actually said was whether this is going to... Stay till two percent, or we will not be able to get it there at two percent in the year two thousand and twenty-five. That is, uh, well, I don't know. I, strictly speaking, twenty-four months from now. Yep, it's that's that's time. what
0: I think he said. That's what I think he did say that he yeah, doesn't anticipate it getting so so. twenty twenty-five. Well,
2: then, 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 very, very briefly. Of course, they've raised interest rates now uh, to to uh, five twenty-five five fifty. Okay, and then uh, hopefully, let's say this will bring the inflation to 2%, and then of course the question is, is whether they will be able to keep it at 2% once the uh, increases have uh, faded out or stopped. Because then, of course, the next expectation will be that they will start cutting interest rates. And if this will allow the inflation to begin to accelerate again, you know what I'm getting at. Mm-hmm. In other words, the, the, mm-hmm. the, the, the scenario has to be a little bit more finessed. You know, we don't expect them mm-hmm. to say, well, look, there is going to go at 2% and then they will stay at 2% despite the fact that it will start cutting interest rates. They are not saying that. But equally, they are not saying that enough is enough, 2% will be there. And that will keep the inflation there. And that's the end of the story. We don't need to cut. We don't need to increase. Uh, it's, it's a thankless task. You know, <laughs> classical, have you stopped beating your wife kind of question. You know, whatever you say is wrong. <laughs> mm.
0: Tony, it is, it is quite hard, isn't it, to work out what exactly the Fed is saying. The markets initially uh, took it quite positively, but then sort of seemed to change their mind as the, uh, as the day uh, sort of wore on.
1: But how, how do you see this? Yeah, I, I actually did not see it as dovish. It was interesting on the 2%. He said that we, didn't, we don't see inflation hitting 2% until 2025 or so. It could be later than 2025, his expectation hit 2%. So, you know, that on the one hand, we have the Fed raising rates. But on the other hand, we also have consumers and businesses paying higher inflation and seeing higher inflation. So there's a real sense of urgency. At one point, uh, Powell said, uh, policy is not restrictive enough or long enough to have its full intended effects. So he's saying two things there. First of all, he doesn't see policy as restrictive enough. Second of all, it hasn't been in place long enough to have its full intended effects. He capped off that comment by saying, we have a long way to go. So Mm -hmm. this is the Fed chair saying these things. This is not some commentator. And so that's kind of the house of view, right? And when you keep in mind that it was a unanimous vote, um, to me, I actually saw this as a hawkish, tilting press conference. uh, Because there's been this implied expectation that we're gonna get through 2023, and then in Jan of 24 or so, we're gonna start seeing uh, rate reductions. But he made it pretty clear today that he doesn't see rate reductions, certainly not in 24 and probably later than that. So this elevated rate environment that we're in right now, it sounds like he's pretty comfortable here. Mm -hmm. Now, one thing also to keep in mind is we're looking at inflation year on year inflation uh, with base effects. So this time last year in the US crude oil was over $100. I think in June it hit $130 a barrel. And so, you know, if we're looking at a 3 3% core inflation rate in June with crude and secondary and tertiary impacts uh at $137 I think. You know, once that comes down, that core inflation will rise even more, mm-hmm. okay? So, um, so there are other effects, and he knows this. And I think what he's doing is setting people up for September when those ba- base effects really do come off and those inflation readings are significantly higher likely and people are saying, hey, you didn't raise fast enough or you didn't continue raising fast enough. He's conditioning people right now for the other side of these base effects, which will come in the second half of August and in September.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, I, I'm i with you. I, I didn't see how that was a particularly dovish statement. I, I saw plenty of things there which could, you know, indicate the Fed's going to um, continue. But I suppose, Andrew, the the, the, the truth is the matter. The Fed doesn't meet now until September. So we've got four, two sort of months of rounds of monthly data on jobs, inflation and, and consumer spending. The, the, the trend doesn't seem particularly clear at the moment on, on any of them, does it? Andrew, uh,
2: clear in terms of economic of economics data, uh, got sound like an economist. The answer is, is yes and no because the mark the labour. Uh, data the jobs creation data have been uh, have been uh, strong uh, inflation came down incredibly quickly if you think that a few weeks back Peter we're talking at six percent and now it's three mm. uh, percent but strangely enough the PCE that used to be the the favorite uh, uh, the favorite blue-eyed boy or blue-eyed girl to be to be politically correct uh, seems to have dropped out of the picture so I'm not quite sure why now is the pure CPI inflation the one that we are we are gunning for? And uh, yes, and hence the uh, the Fed has said that its own economies do not see a recession, meaning two quarters back to back negative. GDP growth, but definitely a slowing down in the economy. So what am I ending up with? You know, I put all these things in a box, shake it out, uh, let them drop on the floor, and I end up with the same mess. I mean...
0: So it, it, it is hard to, to read the words, But you mentioned something there that was noticeable um, in the, the statement. And that's uh, that Mr. Powell was saying the Fed now believes it can pull off um, a soft landing. He said the central bank's own economists have now reversed their call that the US economy was going to enter a recession. He said the staff now has a noticeable slowdown and growth starting later this year. But given the resilience of the economy recently, they are no longer forecasting a recession. What do you make of that?
2: Sorry, is that is that me, Peter? You're asking. Sorry, don't. No, yeah, sure. Uh, you. you,
0: you yeah, and then I'll well, move on to Tony. Uh, uh, yeah,
2: yeah exa- exactly that. And again, I always go back to the expression. What do I mean by the rece- by recession? And given that they are in inverted commas American and they are in the Fed, they do mean two quarters back to back of negative GDP growth which, you know, I, I, I will try sort of to, to wrangle with the numbers. I just can't see this happening anytime soon under current set of circumstances. So if he means that, yes, I have no idea. He said this proudly, that we're going to soft land the economy uh-huh. <laughs> and we're going to have inflation down. And at the same time, uh, as Tony also confirmed our suspicions, he says, we're going to bring the inflation down, but that ain't going to happen till the year 24. If that. Well, you know, it, it I, I hate when it becomes Talmudic Bible interpretation of the words of the great master. And I mean poor Powell, you know, what else can he say?
1: I mean he <laughs> will
2: he will he, he will spell it out as clear as he can and then we end up interpreting his words. And I think this is embarrassing. Okay.
0: <clears throat> Tony, he was rather self-congratulatory, wasn't he, in his statements? He said, we've already done a lot already and we brought inflation down. He was saying, we're going to get this soft landing now. Our own economists say that, you know, there's not going to be a recession. He, was, he sounded rather proud of himself.
1: Yeah, but if you notice, he said, our economists say there won't be a recession. He didn't say, I Jerome Powell think there won't be a recession. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, he's, he's relying on uh, the, the staff, so there's deniability, right? And so I'll tell you, so at the beginning of 23, what we were telling our clients is that we wouldn't necessarily see a recession, but we would see very slow growth in Q3 and Q4. And I think that's where this is just barely, you know, between zero and 1%. And I think that's where Powell is heading. and I think that's what he's hedging toward is um, you know, the the staff don't see a they don't see a recession, um, but we do expect a serious deceleration. and what he doesn't want is a stagflationary environment where we do have a recession and we still have inflation. And this I think, is why he kept, underscoring the fact that we have a long way to go. We're not there yet. We're not going to see a recession. So he wants the optionality to be able to accelerate if needed, um, and maybe not accelerate, but to continue to raise rates if needed. Um, So, And I think he also doesn't want to put the Fed in a position where they're raising and then they're lowering and they're raising and they're lowering because all that does is create uncertainty for people and it creates huge volatility, not just in markets, but also on the street, you know, on markets, you know, in the marketplace when people are buying homes or people are buying cars or buying groceries or whatever.
2: Mm. Uh, Peter, I will I will add not only my full approval, but uh, Tony has, has
1: offered a pivoting point
2: as far as I'm concerned, and that is... You know, I will turn around to investment uh, advisor stroke uh, uh, analysts and say, "How dare you think that the Fed at any time is going to cut interest rates before year 25?" Hello, they're telling you this. Well, all right, it might change his mind as as data change, but uh, unless the data are really spectacular, okay, uh, we are going to be stuck with uh, the number five for many years. <clears throat> I'm clearing my throat. Because we are now beginning to to, to use the word twenty six as opposed to just twenty four or twenty-five. <laughs>
0: So, so what, from what you're both saying, really, it sounds like then that, you know, if economic activity slows in the, in the final quarter of the year, the next phase, really, of, of this uh, cycle is that the Fed just holds rates steady as inflation slows, which, which then means that inflation adjusted uh, real rates are actually going higher, but it's absolutely not going to cut. So, am I right? Is that really what you're saying, that that's going to be the next phase of, phase of this, assuming that we don't get any more rate rise? I'll jump again, Peter,
1: and I will say yes. Okay, over to you, Tony. <laughs> yeah. yeah, Peter, I think that. Thanks for that. I, I think that um, we have to keep a couple things in mind. First, um, rates are rising, and companies and uh, and consumers are adjusting to that. Um, we have a we month by month, consumers put record amounts. Uh, a new record amounts on credit each month, okay? So consumers in the U.S. had reserves to spend on price rises through, say, Q1 of 23. Mm-hmm. But now they don't. And they're having to buy things at these elevated prices on credit. And that's a problem, okay? Mm-hmm. The, other, uh, the other consideration now, that's on credit in rising interest rate environments. So that's a problem. The other consideration is when we look at corporate earnings in the U.S. Um, earnings have deteriorated uh, in this quarter. Okay, we had great, you know, breakthrough earnings from Meta and other stuff, but but they're the exception; they're not the rule. Earnings have deteriorated by about, I think, three percent this quarter. I could be wrong there, but um, I think it's they higher. No, yeah,
0: I think it may be higher than
1: that, according to fact sets. Right. So, so we're in a deteriorating earnings environment. Okay. And so companies are not able to continue to expand their margins like they have been able to do over the last two years. Um, And so they're feeling it on the financing side and they're feeling it on the margin side. They're also feeling it on the, the salary side, right? Because um, to hire people, it's, it's more and more expensive. And Powell mentioned payrolls and salary quite a few times saying, really, that inflation is a problem. But payrolls and employment are, are a real problem uh, as well because they're not slowing down. And how is that then going to
0: work its way out of the system? Is it going to be uh, that there will be less vacancies advertised or do you think there will actually be layoffs to try and sort of ease the pressure um, before yes. the, the latter?
1: I think there'll be both. Um, I think it'll start with the, the former and end with the latter because when, when you have margin compression, when companies don't have the margins or the earnings that they had in the past, they have to find places to cut costs. Mm. And we're in an environment right now where commodities generally are rising again. Okay, mm. So those input costs are generally rising. So companies are going to have to find a way to cut some of their uh, overhead so that they can get investors the earnings that they need. And so that's going to have to come from somewhere. Um, and it's probably going to come in the form of headcount. Tech started doing this probably nine months ago, but it's it's going to roll into other industry sectors as the margins begin to hurt.
0: Mm. And this, Andrew, is all going to Peter. come as, as – yeah, sorry, Andrew. No, no, no. Uh,
1: Peter, you're
2: running the place. You're, you're the boss here. I'm not again. Okay.
0: No, I was just—I was just going to say that, um, really, what's going to happen is that these layoffs are going to start, or the you know the the, the problems in the job markets are going to start. Also, at the same time, that people have used up all their paychecks from the, from the stimulus and have run down their um, savings. So it's, that's presumably going to have quite a big hit on on consumer confidence.
2: Uh yes but can i now yes I, I i cannot disagree on that but can i twist the thing a little bit and bring two very important issues in, in here and this is something that tony has already touched and i will sort of uh, let's say, put my, try to stick my finger in the jugular, and that is what you buy in this market. Now, strictly speaking, if you really believe what Powell is saying, and I have no reason to disbelieve it at all, is really equities are going to be under pressure for the next two years by higher interest rates, mm-hmm. and a slowing economy. Okay, I mean, this, this, this is essential. And if you were to, to stick to bonds, then, of course, you will be permanently bedeviled at the time that the Fed may just begin to cut interest rates, and therefore you're going to be you're going to be cut, you're going to be caught with uh, with a bundle of equities whose prices are with, uh, bonds whose prices are falling, and in the middle of all that, I'm afraid I have to raise this because it really is really upsetting me. We are having in uh, November December the COP meeting, that is the Environment meeting of the United Nations, the 28th one, taking place in Dubai and my god what a horrible background situation we are entering complete silence in the market you know all the fires the horrible weather uh we're back to the we're back to the to, to the races and we're really thinking well will they increase interest rates decrease interest rates and there are two things here there have to be colossal but really colossal opportunities on climate related investment okay because this is really ringing loudly and clear or on the other hand given that i can tell you because i observe this very very closely for a number of clients very little is being done a lot is being done but not anywhere near the 1.5 percent and given what has happened this year in terms of the extremes weather we have had and leave greece aside it was not just greece it was like through europe i think peter uh, to put it, let's say, in a very gentle and diplomatically correct uh, phrase, in the next five years we're all going to be dead. Okay, so there will be a lot more things to worry rather than whether interest rates are going up. <laughs> Zilch influence in the market. Mm. Absolute silence. Nothing. Not one, to use a good English expression, bloody word. You know, I'm I'm, I'm beginning to, 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 to start writing a great deal more without being alarmist, but this is the truth. This is what physically, actually, is happening. As Tony said, we're going to have three more weeks, whereby we're going to fry. Okay, if I was in Greece, we'll have three more weeks where I'm going to die. Okay, so it is not. Uh, it's not fun.
0: Mm. I mean, Tony, you've had the extreme weather as well, of course, in the in the US. Um, do you think this is going to start
1: becoming a market issue? You know, I, I'm not sure. Um, I. I don't necessarily, uh, I don't really have a view on that. So, It's been hot in Texas this year, but I don't know how much over normal it's been hot. Last year, it was the same, pretty much the same pattern. Um, So uh, I honestly don't know. The other thing that I, uh, just to kind of add into what Peter said is, you know, we have, a situation where, because of um, shutting down nuclear and other things, um, European countries particularly have, have started to rely on fossil fuels. Um, and if we do enter a higher interest rate economic slowdown environment, there are very few economies aside from Germany in Europe that actually have the funds to subsidize the build out of green infrastructure.
0: Andrew, let me um, let me ask you. Let me bring up another subject, then, um, and see what you think about this. If I throw it into the mix, China, um, China is very close to falling into deflation, isn't it? Certainly, we're seeing disinflation um, in China. Yeah. What sort of impact is that going to have on the rest of the world, including the US? Well,
2: uh, <coughs> there are three things going here. This uh, deflation is is is. Uh... Hello, Peter. Yeah, I'm here. Ah, uh, sorry, sorry. I thought I thought I've lost you also as well. No, no, I'm here uh, Chinese hear. deflation is completely domestically driven. Okay, it is uh, it is a matter for the Chinese to worry about. Okay, because uh, it is not driven by external factors. It is driven primarily by the domestic weakness of the economy. Number one. Number two is the renminbi has been consistently weak which means that uh, as far as the Chinese exporting inflation, well, you would always think it in terms that Chinese products are cheaper than ever, right? Both because domestically the prices are falling and also because the RMB is weak, so that's potentially, it's a deflationary rather than an inflationary pressure on the world. And the third point is is one great big resounding warning that it is not true that we're looking at global economies. We're looking at at economies that have got very much phases on their own and Bless the little boots of Japan, okay. They're still sticking to negative interest rates as if nothing has happened. A lot has happened, but their policy appears to be consistent, not necessarily correct, but consistent. So Ooh. China cannot be uh, a, 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 a sort of a bad deflationary uh, a, a influence in the world. On the contrary, okay, if Chinese goods are of some importance as inputs in other countries, then there are good news, they're going to be cheaper.
0: Okay. Tony, what I was asking, Andrew, just as you got cut off there, was um, the impact Mm -hmm. of China um, on all of this. China's very close now to slipping into deflation. Consumer price inflation is zero. At the producer price level, it's already negative. What's the risk that China exports deflation around the world?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think China exporting deflation is really the status quo. That's what they've done for the past 25 years. So if they go back into exporting uh, deflation, which they were doing before uh, the COVID supply chain inflation hit, it's kind of business as usual for China. But with the domestic CPI and PPIs as low as they are, um, I think there's, because China's entering or has already entered a balance sheet recession, um, I think they may have to devalue to a level that they're not quite comfortable with in order to... Um, to actually export that deflation. So they need, de- they need stimulus within China, but it's really hard to see them borrowing more and taking more debt because their debt levels are so high. So there's a real likelihood that we see notable um, devaluation of CNY to really goose exports in China so that they can get more um, they can get more domestic activity, more domestic economic activity.
0: Let me ask you finally, just very quickly, about the European Central Bank. They're meeting later today. Um, Andrew, they're expected to lift rates um, as well. Um, I think the the ECB, it's probably fair to say, is in a more difficult position than the Fed, isn't it?
2: Well, to the extent that uh, in absolute terms, uh, they're having a working rate of inflation at, uh, between five uh, and 5.5 uh, percent, and everybody else apparently is having lower rate of inflation. And yes, politically uh, it is tricky uh, because there are equal voices of, for example, the Italians asking for 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 stronger uh, tighter monetary policy, and uh, presumably everybody else uh, is uh, is is not so. So yes, they are not yet at the point that they are seeing some kind of. Uh, uh, a light at the end of the tunnel, uh, although somebody said sarcastically, yes, light at the end of the tunnel, there was another trend coming in the opposite direction. Okay, but but uh, uh, yes, they're having a, a tougher period because still the increases in interest rates are not paying off as as clearly they are doing so far in the United States.
0: Um, Tony, final word to you. Um, the ECB, are they
1: behind the curve? I think they are a bit... Um, but I do think that we'll enter, again, like the U.S. is in a base effect period because of high energy prices from a year ago in June. Uh, Europe is about to enter that zone where natural gas prices and energy prices really spiked in Europe. And I think they'll have two to three months of very good inflation readings, meaning inflation moving in the right direction toward disinflation,
0: Thank you both very much. That was Tony Nash, founder of Complete Intelligence over in the USA, and Andrew Ferris, who is the CEO of Econosis Advisory.
1: Peter is money talk.
0: I'm joined now by Ross Feingold, who is Business Development Director at SafePro Group over in Taiwan. Morning, Ross. Good morning. Now, China's announced the replacement of Foreign Minister Qing Gang. One month after he disappeared from public view, Mr. Ching had been seen as a close associate of President Xi Jinping. China's state news agency, Xinhua, said on Tuesday that the country's parliament, the National People's Congress, had removed Mr. Ching and remained and replaced him with the country's most senior diplomat, who is Wang Yi, um, who was his predecessor as Foreign Minister. Um, Ross, what on earth do you make of this? It's quite an astonishing situation, isn't it? We still
3: don't really know
0: what has happened to Qingang.
3: Yeah, two key things here. One, as you said, we don't really know what happened to Qinggang. But two, and probably more importantly, is regardless of what transpired and what the reason is for Qinggang being uh, replaced after uh, the unexplained absence, other than the brief mention that there was a health issue, is Continuity, and especially with Wang Yi coming back as as foreign minister, and he was the more senior foreign policy official anyway, uh, this is not going to herald a change in how China interacts with other countries, whether it's the countries that it's friendly with or the countries that it has a more transactional relationship or the countries that it has a, a difficult relationship, obviously, most notable one uh, in the latter group would be the United States, but also increasingly uh, Japan, Australia and Western Europe.
0: But it, it does raise some serious questions, doesn't it, about transparency? I mean, even by the standards of the opaqueness of the Chinese Communist Party, this is an astonishing situation because Qingang was... He was handpicked, wasn't he, by President Xi Jinping for this role. He'd been the, US ambass- uh, the Chinese ambassador to the US for just about two years. And then he was elevated massively into this position and now suddenly, uh, equally abruptly, um, has been removed from it. it. It sort of suggests there's some very odd things at the least going on in the, the Chinese foreign ministry.
3: Uh, Certainly does. uh, But uh, unfortunately, as you said, this is uh, an opaque and not a transparent uh, government. So until they tell us more, we can only speculate. And and I'm sure many of the listeners have heard or read about uh, the various uh, theories for why Chinggong was removed, other than simply being a health reason, allegations of corruption, extramarital affairs, uh, even espionage. Uh, Maybe We'll get more information from the government in the coming days or weeks, and uh, maybe we won't. Uh, that's just the nature of the system. Uh, a lot of attention has, has been put on to the uh, aspect that it was Xi Jinping personally who elevated Xinjiang above other potential candidates in the chinese government to take on this role which he did take on at a relatively young age uh, compared to some of his predecessors uh, but it, it, arguably it also shows that uh, xi jinping when necessary will change somebody that uh, was was close to him or somebody that he had mentored or elevated if the facts demand that he he does so uh, so uh, he's not going to keep someone on who who is a political liability and uh, perhaps chingan had become a political liability uh for reasons that we don't know yet and and thus xi jinping made, made the change uh, so i'd be very careful even though some people are rushing to say so uh that that this shows some kind of weakness in xi jinping's position in fact one, one might argue it actually shows the opposite
0: but you could you could argue, couldn't you, that when you've handpicked someone, presumably um, without counsel um, and without proper sort of due diligence, when that goes wrong um, and it turns out to be a bad decision for, for whatever reason, it, it would normally question, put put your judgment into question, wouldn't it?
3: Uh, well, uh, at minimum, it might put the due diligence, did you do the right due diligence at the question? Uh, but we see that you know, even in more transparent and democratic systems where people were hiding something uh, in-, in their background and you know, a criminal uh, matter, or extramarital affair. And-, and then it comes out once they're they're elevated to the next highest position. Uh, so I-, I I think it's the due diligence aspect. Uh, and if there was something there, which in Gang, not health related, uh. We, did they overlook it? They, did they just not know about it? Uh, mm. Or did they know about it and decide that uh, it's OK, we'll live with it as long as it doesn't come out? But they were worried for whatever reason recently that it would come out. Uh, we, we just don't know. We might never know. Uh, but uh, again, I, I don't think this is going to uh, signal any weakness in Xi Jinping's uh, overall command of the, the government and the party.
0: What about Wang Yi? Is, is this a temporary move until Beijing can find a, a suitable successor? Clearly, they needed to stabilize the situation. They've got important uh, meetings coming up, issues going on with the US. So they need a stable foreign policy. So he's obviously uh, a stable pair of hands because he's done the job before. But is this just a temporary move, do you think?
3: The expectation is this this will be temporary. But nobody could really define temporary so as you said the, the they need to steady hand to come in and stabilize the ministry uh you know in in his more senior role while he was more uh, you know a big picture kind of guy when it came to foreign policy decisions and the person who holds the title foreign minister, which Chinggong had, is more about uh, the operational aspects of the foreign ministry. Uh, Now Wang Yi has got to do both. This is a big bureaucracy, the foreign ministry I'm referring to, and and it it needs to be run day to day. So it needs to make decisions about uh, spending, budgets, promotions, things like that. Uh, So that's a lot of work. I I don't think there's any expectation that Wang Yi will do this open-ended, of course. Again, this being China, they might surprise us, but The expectation is that uh, they will look for a more suitable, uh, younger candidate who could do it for a number of years. And and that would not be Wang Yi. And and Wang Yi probably doesn't even want to do it, right? He did it already. uh, Mm -hmm. He had been sort of promoted upstairs uh, to the more senior role, and he'd probably enjoy that. One more thing on this point. um, uh, To their credit, uh, especially when we think about competition with the United States, uh, whether whether it's the foreign minister or, or, or uh, Wang Yi as, as the, the foreign policy guy, but within the party apparatus, they travel a lot. And, and that's one of the reasons why it often feels like uh, the U.S. or Western Europe are, are a bit behind in, in places like Central South America or Africa, uh, or even more in more recent years, Oceania, you know, the Pacific Island countries that's gotten so much attention for U.S.-China competition. But they really do travel a lot. And mm. uh, you know, whether Wang Yi wants to take on that burden is, you know, is also something he's going to have to consider and might factor in how long he does this job on a temporary basis.
0: It leaves Wang Yi in a very powerful position, really, doesn't it? Because he's on the Politburo. He's gone back to being the foreign minister. He's probably the most one of the most powerful ministers we've seen in a long time in terms of his status. So presumably, he's got very close ties. Uh, he's certainly very trusted by President Xi Jinping.
3: Uh, yeah, without a doubt, and that's why he was brought in to stabilize the situation. That, that uh, uh, Xi Jinping does trust him, does look at him as someone who could stabilize the situation. Uh, but but uh, again, I don't think the intention is that it would be a long term solution.
0: Do you think it damages in any way China's diplomatic efforts? Because it comes at an important time, doesn't it, where it's got a lot of foreign policy uh, challenges um, going on at the moment. So to lose your foreign minister at this time um, is not the best thing in the world.
3: Uh, probably not, because the, again, there there will be continuity, and the countries that have a, a positive relationship uh, with China, uh, the, in places like Africa, some of the countries in in ASEAN, uh, this will not change that. If there are programs that are in flight or under discussion, they probably won't won't stop the discussions. They won't be killed off. Uh, you know, interestingly, even in the news uh, in recent days, is, is talk about China trying to persuade persuade Korea. Uh, to to you know, kind of reset that relationship a little bit, obviously, with the, with the conservative president taking office last year. There was a bit of a reorientation to the United States. Uh, so th- these things seem to operate regardless of who is uh, at the top of the apparatus. And I, I think that's how most countries will approach their relations with China.
0: Uh, the National People's Congress has been busy this week because, as well as uh, removing the uh, the foreign minister, they've also uh, removed the head of the People's Bank of China. Although that was more expected, wasn't it? He had Yi Gang had reached uh, retirement age and he's been uh, replaced by Pangong Sheng, uh, which was the expected move. But I suppose the the thing there that's noticeable is that it's the first time since two thousand and eighteen that the top two positions at the PBOC, the governor and the Communist Party secretary, have been held by the the same person.
3: Yeah, that's right. Uh, yeah, to be fair to upon you know, from most of the analysis of his skills, you know, pe- you know, most people feel like he's he's done a lot of different jobs in banking and in government uh, related to the same issues, and and uh, especially with foreign exchange. And people generally will say that you know, he's qualified for the job. Uh, As far as unifying the two positions, um, you know, one could say that given uh, the doubts about economic growth for this year, probably going to be, you know, a little soft or slower compared to some of the great years of the past 20 or 30 years. Uh, Having one person do the job just, uh, you know, ensures uh, everything is moving in lockstep. And ultimately, that's what Xi Jinping wants.
0: And it comes, obviously, when, you know, this is a critical point for the economy, isn't it? the the government wants to sort of revitalize the private sector it wants to boost consumption wants to stabilize the housing market um the the, the pboc previously under yi gang had been quite conservative hadn't it it didn't really rush into making decisions rarely changed monetary policy do you think things are going to change
3: uh, yes because uh, if if global outlook doesn't look good. And if the domestic outlook doesn't look good, they're going to have to do something. I mean, clearly they want economic growth in in the five or above uh, kind of figure, 5%, 6%. And and it might be very difficult to achieve that and you just mentioned a long list of areas that are going to be of concern to policymakers so again i think that 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 shows uh you know or it's one of the justifications to have the same guy with both the party job and kind of the civil service job uh and uh uh, we're all waiting for the big s you know the big stimulus package when exactly what exactly will be in it and when will they announce it
0: Mm, that's what the markets are waiting for as well ross thank you very much indeed always a pleasure to talk to you that's ross feingold business. Development Director at Safepro Group. Thank you for listening to Money Talk this morning. You can find more business and finance information from around Asia in my daily newsletter, which is at Peter Lewis On tomorrow's programme, I'm joined by Francis Lund, the CEO of Geo Securities, and Kenny Wen, the head of investment strategy at KGI Asia. With a view from Australia, is Toby Lawson, CEO at Staten
2: Partners. Bye for now. Money Talk.